Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. Have you heard the one about the emotional support peacock? It got barred from a United flight, but wow, those photos from the airport. And how about the emotional support pig that got bounced off a U.S. Airways flight after defecating on board? Some passengers are fed up about sharing their airspace with a veritable zoo. And closer to home, in Creve Coeur, neighbors are crying foul about a local woman's emotional support monkeys. It's a charged topic, and our guests today are here to help us understand the rules, the rights enjoyed by those who truly rely on support animals and where some animal lovers might be skating over the edge. Here to discuss this fascinating topic is Cassie Boness. She's a PhD psychology student at the University of Missouri and the co-author of a paper on this topic published in the American Psychological Association. She's joining us by phone today. Cassie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. And we're also joined today by Dan Coldy. He's an attorney locally who specializes in animal cases. Dan, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, Sarah. Do you have an emotional support animal? What role does it play in your life? Or contrarily, have you seen people take advantage of the right enjoyed by those with these animals? Give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. Or you can send us a tweet at STL on air or email us at talk at stlpublicradio.org. Now, Dan Coldy, let's just start things off to make sure we're all talking about the same thing. What is an emotional support animal and how is it different from a service animal? Okay, so a service animal is an animal that is specifically trained to perform a specific task or function. Um, A guide dog for the visually impaired, um, a dog that assists a person in a wheelchair. Uh, There's dogs, animals that can detect oncoming seizures, Um, you know, dogs that can sense when the owner's about to have uh, an attack from a diabetic attack. Mm -hmm. So a service animal is specifically trained for a specific function related to a disability. And those are required under the Americans with Disabilities Act. And your service animal, you can take into the grocery store, you can take into public places. Um, Emotional support animals or therapy animals are animals that generally provide comfort. You can't point to a specific task. But again, the the person that's requesting it has to have a documented disability, and you can't take those into public. But under the Fair Housing Act, you can have your therapy or comfort animal in your home. Okay, so there's really two places where if you have your therapy or emotional support animal, um, where you get some additional rights, let's say. Um, One of those is your home. Your landlord can't discriminate against you if you are certified with one of these. Yes. No, your landlord has to allow your both your service and your emotional support animal. Okay. And the one that really seems to get people riled up is on the airplanes. Airplanes. Dan Coldy, what is sort of the origin of people getting to fly with their therapy pets? Uh, that is the Air Carrier Access Act that was passed specifically to give dis- the disabled access to, um, to airlines to travel. Um, you know, with... I don't think many of us would object to the guide dog for the visually impaired. Um, you know, when we start getting into peacocks and pigs and, um, you know, uh, it gets a little more a little more trickier. I don't think the public likes those as much. And, you know, there's always that undercurrent of people that are maybe, tr- we think, trying to take advantage of the system to mm-hmm. travel with their pets and not have to, which is understandable. Lots of dogs die in airplanes in the cargo parts every yeah. year. So people, I think, are are trying to get their pets on when maybe they don't necessarily have a documented uh, documented disability. It's not to a true it. therapy yeah. animal. Uh, Cassie Boness, what got you interested in studying this topic? 
Uh, yeah, a little bit about what's kind of already been said. So we started noticing that there were um, these animals kind of, you know, causing problems or being a nuisance on airlines mostly. And as we became aware of the way that the Air Carrier Access Act is written, um, it became very apparent that licensed mental health professionals were um, the ones being called upon to write these letters or to write these certifications for emotional support animals. So that's kind of how we got interested in the topic. So you were looking at it almost from the perspective of, um, are these therapists, what are they called on to do and are they doing it properly? Yeah, exactly. And so what's your take? I mean, do you think therapists are allowing this category of animal to be abused? Um, You know, we've really tried to take the approach of, you know, you don't know what you don't know. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of licensed mental health professionals uh, just kind of aren't aware of some of the issues that are created when we're put in this position. Um, So one of the major ethical issues is that there's actually a role conflict between um, having to make this comprehensive disability evaluation to say that someone does or does not need an emotional support animal and the traditional role of a licensed mental health professional, which would be to provide what we would traditionally think of in terms of therapy. Okay. Now, I I know you wrote at some point that um, if patients are given certifications for an emotional support animal, it means that they and the therapist signing the certification are declaring the patient to be, quote, psychologically disabled with significant impairment in functioning. Do you think people even realize when they're asking their therapist for one of these letters so they can fly with their pet, are they possibly opening a can of worms here? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, So one of kind of the long-term unintended consequences is if you're certifying somebody um, with a disability, you're saying that they have some sort of psychiatric disability, um, that could cause problems later on in life. For example, if they need some sort of like security clearance, for example, Um, you might also imagine a case where maybe there's a child custody dispute and this person has received, this parent has received an emotional support animal certification saying that they are psychiatrically disabled, that could uh, obviously have unintended consequences for that individual. And do you get the sense that therapists are under pressure to make these certifications, even if they're kind of skeptical? Yeah, as I said previously, I kind of just think it's a lack of knowledge. There weren't a ton of standards or guidelines for mental health professionals up until recently. Um, I think the other issue that definitely creates a conflict here is we've seen kind of this, I don't know, huge industry developing online where you can go and apply for these emotional support animal letters um, and mental health professionals are being compensated for providing those. Um, So they're kind of benefiting monetarily from this as well. Okay. We got a voicemail about this topic from our listener, Jeannie. Here's what she had to say about her emotional support cat. My name is Jeannie. My cat has been considered an emotional support animal for about 10, 11 years now. I've got a doctor's letter on it and everything. You know, it's hard to to explain this to other people because some people still don't get it. They think it's people just want to get their pony or something on a plane. And I'm amazed how many landlords say they will not even accept most of the support animals or even regular service support animals. That's our listener, Jeannie, talking about her experience with her emotional support cat. Dan Coldy, do you see there being a problem with landlords not understanding the rights that people like Jeannie have? Uh, yes, I've I've actually handled it probably in my career um, over the last oh three four years um, probably half dozen um, both landlords and municipalities. Uh, one place I, I've seen this come up a lot is uh, municipalities that have pit bull bans mm. and people have emotional support. Uh, their, their emotional support dog happens to be a pit bull. How does that work then? Does that over should that triumph over the ban? 
Um, the courts have held that, that yes, it does. Um, but so, you have the right to have that pit bull, even if you're in a, a municipality that has otherwise banned it. If, if you meet the other standards. Now, the one thing um, that I think that, that people need to realize about this is this just isn't kind of a black or white issue where you say, um, okay, I have a disability, therefore I trump. Or the municipality says, I have an ordinance, therefore I win. What you have to do, what the courts do is they go into very fact specifics about each individual case. So when you hear, you know, a case about the peacock on the airplane, oh, and that sounds ridiculous. Well, you know, there's supposed to be a court in a process behind this where they're going through saying, okay, you know, do you have a documented disability? You know, what's what what benefit does this peacock provide? And then the airline or the person wanting to deny the uh, accommodation has an opportunity to explain why it's not reasonable because the law only requires a reasonable accommodation, not any accommodation. Oh, interesting. So even if I had a true therapy pet, if it wasn't reasonable to allow it on a plane, an airline could stop it. Say if it's a hippo or something that's yes, very large. Yes, or your, your emotional support tiger. I mean, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that could be a problem. Uh, Cassie Bonus, it sounds like this is part of the process that you're hoping these therapists um, will go through is to do that same sort of fact-finding. Yeah, we're really uh, kind of pushing for this four-pronged approach. And as Dan said, there are some specific laws that govern ESAs. So we're really urging mental health professionals to become more familiar with those. And, and ESAs, also, sorry, those are emotional support animals there. Correct. Okay. Yeah, sorry. Um, so the other components would be this comprehensive assessment of the client, the comprehensive assessment of the animal. So does the animal have things like basic obedience training? Um, Is it actually trained to perform some disability-related task or to alleviate this disability, these symptoms resulting from the disability? And then the third component is to evaluate the client in the presence of that animal. So if the animal provides some sort of comfort or emotional support, there should be some way of observing that um, or demonstrating that that actually is the case. Okay. We're going to go here to the phone lines. Um, if you're interested in this conversation we're having, if you have a question for either of our guests, we have a legal expert here and, and a psychological expert here, you can give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. Or you can send us a tweet at STL on air or email us at talk at stlpublicradio.org. Um, Jennifer, uh, calling from the, West, the Central West End. Hi, you're on St. Louis on the air. Hi. I have a question for the legal expert, and that is when you said that landlords can't discriminate against um, an ESA, is that a federal law? Is that just local? No, that's the uh, that's under the fair the federal fair housing acts. It's the nineteen. Uh, so originally, the fair housing act was um, enacted to uh, to counter racial discrimination in housing. Then it was amended in nineteen eighty eight to include disability. So yes, you 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 know the fair housing act does. Um, you know, uh, allow that uh, your your landlord needs to give you, again, it has to be a reasonable accommodation for both right. serviceal and emotional support. There's also a Missouri state law, uh, the Missouri uh, the Missouri Human Rights Act, that also provides um, uh, dis- uh, protections against disability discrimination. I have never actually seen an emotional support case under the state law, but you know, I But can't. it exists. Yes. Jennifer, is this okay. something that, that you're dealing with a specific situation or... No, I was just curious about that. My daughter has an emotional support animal, and what some people might not realize, because I also have thought, like many people, really? You know, like, 
how is this animal doing it? But there are times when that animal will keep somebody alive hmm. because somebody is not going to commit suicide if they know that they have a, a dog or a cat who is relying on them and at home. So, yeah, that's a, that might, you make a great point there. I mean, we've been having some fun making fun of the peacocks and all, but there are certainly cases where these, these animals are life-saving. No, and I, I, yes, there are times when they really are, and somebody might not realize that if they've never dealt with dep- somebody with depression or uh, any real debilitating mental illness, they just might not understand the importance of one of those animals. So anyway, thank yeah. you for answering my questions. It's a good topic. Jennifer, thank you so much for your call. We appreciate that. Um, let's talk to Kent. Uh, he's calling from Wildwood. Kent, hi, you're on St. Louis on the Air. Afternoon. Thank you for taking my call. My daughter uh, has been diagnosed with PTSD and was prescribed an emotional support animal that she's taken with her to university. There was recently a little drama about the presence of the animal. The university was good, but her roommate forced a a move of room. Hmm. So I want to know what legal rights someone prescribed an emotional animal has compared to that of a service animal. Right. I know that on airplanes, a different law altogether, uh, I I think, applies. Mm -hmm. But I'm just interested in knowing what rights she may have. Uh, Kent, thank you for that question. And and Dan, we're really putting you on the spot here today. But um, this is, yeah. (laughs) So so obviously I cannot give specific legal advice on on the radio, (laughs) just that disclaimer. Um, but there is case, I can tell you, there is case law out there that, that uh, has applied the Fair Housing Act to college campus housing. Hmm. So the Fair Housing Act, you know, it, it's rentals, you know, it's any place, you know, you're living basically. Um, and yes, you are entitled to a reasonable accommodation. And part of that requires the university um, engages in um, an interactive process to, you know, uh, figure out, you know, what's reasonable. And at a certain point, if you can't resolve it, then, you know, there's always complaints to the uh, HUD for the fair housing or complaints to the Missouri Commission on Human Rights. If you're if it's a Missouri school um, or, you know, obviously finding a lawyer and going through the the actual specific facts and, and what everything is. Um, yeah, thank you, Kent, for that call. Um, hopefully Dan's um, Dan's sort of overview there helped clear it up. Dan, I did want to ask you, too, we mentioned this case in Creve Corps where the woman has apparently three um, emotional support monkeys at the same time that Creve Corps has banned exotic pets like monkeys. Yes. It sounds like in this case she would have the right to have those monkeys. Well, she again, you got it's fact specific, yeah. so you you have to look. Um, you know, there 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 is some case. There's actually two cases out there on this on monkeys um, on monkeys, and actually two states. We'll start with this: two states, Georgia and Ohio, specifically have in their state law that service monkeys are recognized. Uh, it sounds like Missouri needs a monkey movement yes. here. Yes, there there is also a charity that um, uh, it's it's the only one that I could find that provides capation monkeys, which are real small monkeys, mm-hmm. and um, you know they, they train them for this is service service animals, not emotional support. But I mean they they have work with um, it looks like the government and the veterans providing um, for spinal cord injuries you know That's service monkeys yeah so a monkey could legitimately be a help to someone yes there was a case in Texas where um, the requester wanted her her service monkey and um, uh, there was a local ordinance well the court kind of hedged it looked like the court would have allowed 
the uh, the service monkey or the emotional support monkey. However, there was evidence that the monkey had bitten the mail carrier, and that can make a difference. And that here. can make, that's that's part of the fact specific analysis. You know, what's the animal's you know the temperament, or you know, I don't know anything about non-human primate disease, but I mean, are there shots that needed? These are all things that go in there, and the city, you know, in a case like this, will get to push back and explain why they think it's unreasonable. Just oh, because okay. they have an ordinance, though, doesn't mean their ordinance beats everything. Okay. You know, they still have to consider, is this a reasonable accommodation in these circumstances? And it, it really is very spe- fact-specific. And on that note, unfortunately, we are out of time here. I know we have some callers um, hanging out on the lines, and I'm sorry we weren't able to get to you. But um, Dan Coldy, thank you so much for joining us oh, today. Oh, thank you, Sarah. And uh, Cassie Bonas, uh, great to talk to you as well. Thank you. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWNU.